Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> well, if you didn't understand what that quote was from, Google it and go watch that movie immediately. Do y'all know what that's from? Nope. Yeah. Princess what? Bride? You've never seen The Princess Bride? I have. I don't remember that line. May I, oh, I didn't. I didn't really go for it, but <laughs> I know. Marriage. I know the character okay. now that you say the movie. Who said that? <laughs> marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> and so, if you haven't been following along, we have spent a couple weeks on singleness, a couple weeks on dating, kind of purpose and practicalities. And these next two weeks will be on marriage. Today, we're going to talk about. The purpose of marriage, the foundation of marriage, where it even started, and then ultimately what the picture it, it paints. And then next week, we'll we'll kind of end with some practicalities for any college students out there who are seriously dating or that marriage feels like it's kind of on the horizon and what, what they should know with that. And so as we're talking about marriage, I thought it'd be fun to know who your favorite married celebrity couples are? Mm. Who are your favorite celebrity couples? I am not endorsing necessarily all <laughs> the lifestyle of this couple, but Jay-Z, Beyonce. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Like the king and queen. It's like crazy. I mean, Jay-Z's awesome. Mogul business. Beyonce's a queen. Great performers, both of them. And they're always just like showing up to stuff together, just like rolling in. Everybody's like, that's them. Yeah. So like I, I do not endorse everything, <laughs> but I do think they're cool. Like in a world where celebrity couples break up left and right, they've made it. They've made it a long, a long ways. True. Pouring out for Kim and Kanye, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> what else? That's, that's, that's a great one. <laughs> anyway. Beyonce and Jay-Z, that's, I mean, that's kind of top tier right there. Don't, did you just Google yes, celebrity couple Sabin? I had to. We also have our guest guest Sabin okay. in the booth today, replacing Eileen, who's ab abroad in the north. Okay, I don't know celebrities. Very you well. Googled celebrity couples. What what it's comes hard. up? It's hard. You're like, who's still it together? Is, you don't even tell exactly. us. Tell exactly. us exactly what you typed into Google. Married celebrity couples. <laughs> and what and what popped up? Um, there was a few, but out of the the top like eight that popped up, um, I would say my favorite was Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds. Oh my god, that was gosh. my answer. Oh, I'm sorry. They're no, you're amazing. Good. That's a great. We can share. One. They're we can a share. good couple. They're awesome. Oh my gosh, Blake is a queen. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, she's amazing. She's amazing. I <laughs> she agree. Slays. One of my best friends just named their daughter Lively. I don't think oh. it has anything to do with Blake Lively, but that's all I think about, and yeah. I'm like. She's the best. They're just so cute. They're little Instagram posts. Oh, they're really funny. They're so. Funny. I like how they can they're like so mess cute. around with each I other know. and they do it like in public and yeah. people think it's hilarious. It's so cute. I love it. Do you need Do you need a second now? No, that I have no idea what any other celebrity <laughs> couples name. I'm gonna look it up. Oh my Give gosh! Give me a second. <laughs> look it up. Okay, I've got I've got a I've got a few. And in in their defense, I I told them I wasn't gonna tell them the question of the day, and so. They've had literally 12 seconds to think about this. So mine, I actually have two.
two. Hopefully this gives you a little more time to, to Google, maybe ask chat GPT what they think. <laughs> but my number one, and this was cause my wife went to Baylor, lived in Texas for a while, but Chip and Joanna Gaines. Mm. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Part, part of it is that like, I feel, I feel like Chip and I have very similar personalities in in, in some good ways and in some really bad ways. And so I just watch everything that Chip does. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I'll probably be a dad. I'll probably, I mean, he just completely redo houses, everything except that part. <laughs> and then the second one. Oh, there's two. Well, I was trying to give you some oh, time. Okay. Oh, please do. Okay. <laughs> the second one is Steph and Aisha Curry. Mm. Mm. I mean, I watched a documentary on them and both of them. I'm just like, they're incredible. Like, I just want to be their best friends. And just, that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just to, to hang out with Steph and Aisha. Did you see that golf tournament he just won? The hole in one? Yeah. Crazy. He just hits a hole in one. He's a professional basketball player, if you don't know, but he's playing like a charity golf tournament. Hits this hole in one and just starts sprinting <laughs> towards <laughs> towards the green. It was like the it was like a basketball celebration on a golf course. Yeah. I love it. Jen, how are we feeling about it? I'm gonna be honest. I'm reading these and I feel nothing. I don't know any of these people. Really? But Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Geller, they were have you ever watched the live action Scooby Doo movie? <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. That movie's They're, crazy. It's so good. It was um oh my gosh. It's um Daphne and mm -hmm. is it Fred? Yeah. The They're married? They're married in real life. Oh, I did not know wow. that. I didn't know that either. Which is super cute. That's the <laughs> only thing I know about them. What about do you like Meghan Markle? I do like Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle and <laughs> Prince Harry, right? Yeah. Yeah. I will They're say great. for a, for a second I was like this is too much. They are kind of drama. This is too but, much. But it's cuz they English monarchies also just yes, drama, so. Uh -huh. It's English monarchies plus American celebrities. If Crazy. you haven't seen the show Suits, maybe one of my favorite shows of all time. Meghan, mm. Meghan Markle at her finest. My uncle did come from India this last weekend, and he was like, I think you and Ethan could, like, do a really good, like, Netflix show, like, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, where you just, like, sit on a couch and, like, cry. And I was like, I can't tell <laughs> if this is a compliment or, like, a dig. That was I'll, what he said. But I'll take it. He was like, you could be famous for that. And I was like, thanks, uncle. Like, that's okay. You got celebrity vibes. That's all he's saying. I think celebrity he's saying vibes. that I would be a professional crybaby. Oh. I don't know. I don't know how to take it. I don't know how to read Interesting. it. Interesting. But that was a comment I received this weekend. Okay. Anyways. Well, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I just do thought you wanna, I would share. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so speaking of, of marriage, kind of we've kind of hinted at marriage these last four or five weeks, because when we talk about dating, when we talk about singleness, when we talk about like relationships, marriage, at least from the Christian perspective, is always kind of what's driving those conversations. And, and what I would say is, is a good way, like the purpose of dating, why we date is to pursue marriage. And so we've kind of hinted at it, but we're going to kind of dive right into marriage in the church. And again, if you've been following along, you, you've heard us say time and time again that the church, at least in in the South and the Midwest, kind of the Bible Belt, has made marriage this, this idol. We've made marriage this end goal to the Christian life. And so go back and listen to some of the other episodes. 
and how we can view that in an appropriate sense. But when we're talking about marriage, where do we even find the the starting point? Where do we find the foundation for marriage as Christians? In the beginning. <laughs> God created marriage. That's right. After he created right. all the other things. <laughs> uh yeah, that's whenever, um, even whenever I'm hanging out with guys on campus and we're talking like relationship stuff and, or if somebody just started following Jesus and they're trying to figure out how to have a healthy, like kind of biblical worldview towards marriage and relationships. Uh, I always really love starting in Genesis one and two, um, because it does lay the beginnings of the framework and the origins of marriage as God establishes it, but specifically because it um, it is an answer and an understanding to this kind of question and reality of life that is in the uh, like positive something being created view rather than in like a restrictive yeah. uh, view. Uh, and so whenever people ask like, um, you know, wh- like what is allowed for marriage? Um, is it, different sexes is it same sex it's even you get down into like the sexuality of it and uh, things like that it's really easy to start looking at like the um guardrail passages that are like don't do this don't do this you should do this you should do that and forget that there's like an origin and if we can see the origin of it then it really paints like a clear road to walk down as far as how do you do this well because mm. it's the design and um, it's like supposed to be a bl- like marriage is supposed to be a blessing. Yeah. It's supposed to be a blessing and it's um I mean there's there's purpose for it in Genesis uh one talk about one and two, but in one um twenty seven God says he created man or humankind in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them and God blessed them. There's that blessing. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so in him blessing this, these humans that he has made that are different to, to, to come together, he gives them purpose, which is be fruitful and multiply, have children, fill the earth, subdue it. Remember, they're, they're like in this garden image. And part of subduing a garden is like really doing gardening work. It's like cultivating that space. It's and, stewardship. Yeah, it's stewardship. Mm-hmm. It's expanding it and God's blessing out to the whole world. And then to have dominion over all these things that we just heard God create. Uh, and the companionship there is part of kind of the center of this picture that the very beginning of the Bible is starting to tell. Um, so it's a really cool little like origin story. Uh, and it's just covered in purpose right off the bat. Yeah, that's that's really good. And I love that he says in verse 27 that God created created both male and female in his image. And part of, and again, when we talk about being image bearers, if you're like me, or at least growing up in the church, you think, okay, I'm supposed to like look like God. What, is, what does that mean? But I think a better way to view being a, an image bearer or as like, People say that the Imago Dei, like the image of God, is to be his representatives mm-hmm. on the earth. And so part of this stewardship, like Jacob's talking about, is part of this subduing the earth for both men and women is to be um, his representatives. Paul in the New Testament will call us ambassadors. Like we're supposed to be representatives on behalf of God to creation. Not only the 
the earth itself and like the the land and the animals and the crops, but also to to other people. We're supposed to be good stewards of of where we live and in our neighborhoods and the relationships that we have. And what's really cool is that God has has uniquely gifted both men and women in different ways that both equally portray God's work among creation, which I think is is really cool. Yeah. And so so let's let's kind of like dissect a little bit more of that that purpose. So let's just like list them out. In Genesis one and Genesis two, what what are the explicit purposes given for this two becoming one flesh? Yeah, you. I mean, you reference the um, being the image of God or bearing God's image, um, and so that's one in and of itself. How you do that is part of the being fruitful and multiplying. So there's the procreative. Um, hey, we're having kids. And it's not just having kids. Um, it's even like whenever sometimes a couple of the prophets even allude to this whenever they talk about um, a marriage capacity, but it's like a building of society. It's like part of the expanding out into the world, like is societies being built and the marriage uh, dynamic is according to design, the healthiest place to do that, which involves having children. So it's even like, it's just like we're building cities <laughs> based on, Hey, we're expanding out with families. Um, the having dominion, the stewardship aspect. If you jump down, um, if you're in Genesis one and then two, go down to uh, chapter two and verse twenty. Uh, it starts this little bit about how the man. Uh, so of the two creations uh, before in the story, female is created. The man, he's he's fulfilling some of this role. He's like giving names to all the livestock and to the animals. And he's helping like rule and reign, Josh, like you said. Uh, but there was no suitable helper or companion found for him. And so in the narrative, that's when woman comes along. And whenever Adam uh, or man sees the woman, he breaks into this little like song poem. He's like, at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Uh, and so there's a companionship element to purposes, companionship. Uh, and then whatever it talks about in the, in this narrative, Adam and Eve knowing each other, there's that, there's that sexual intimacy, um, that comes alongside companionship as even a deeper form. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a lot of stewardship, bearing God's image together, um, expanding out communities, life, companionship, um, and then an expression of sexual intimacy and within all of that, one of my favorite things to think about is the aspect of God creating humanity in male and female, and then us individually, like me and Josh is male, Saban and Joanna is female, we represent and we reflect characteristics of God that the other can't fully. And then whenever in a marriage union, man and female come together, there's a combining of those things where now there's a new opportunity to reflect that together. Uh, and so I really love that aspect as far as a purpose for marriage. Yeah, and that, that cooperation piece I think is is huge because God made male, God made Adam, which that word Adam just means man. God made man and, and said, like, he needs he needs a helper. Like, and so part of creating women was to be, was to like have this cooperation 
that that in and of itself, like man wasn't like good enough, so to speak. And so I think that's that's like a really beautiful picture that with with marriage you have this cooperation. And you know, three of us in the room are are married and, and I think we could say, at least I'll just speak for myself. Holy cow, I have so many blind spots. <laughs> like, especially with my personality. I mean, I'm just like like a squirrel, just kind of all over the place all the time. <laughs> and I have so many blind spots. And the Lord has gifted me tremendously with with Lauren, my wife, to to really, I mean, just keep me on track. I mean, it's just crazy. I I have been able to to grow and mature and experience this process we call sanctification in such deeper and more fulfilling ways because of Lauren than I would have ever uh, been able to do by myself. And just because I know kind of the audience that we're talking to, let me just also say, when we talk about the purpose of, of marriage, when we're talking about being fruitful, when we're talking about cooperation, when we're talking about being image bearers of God, we'll see all throughout the New Testament that in the church, you can actually do all these things without being married. And so mm-hmm. I don't want it, again, I we're trying to fight against this, uh, this kind of theme that marriage is the end goal of the church. You can, in community and in in the church and the body of Christ, you can actually experience all these these things of cooperation and community and being fruitful, like not in a sexual way, <laughs> but in a discipleship type mm-hmm. of way. And so I do want to just put that out there and say, these, this isn't only found in marriage. It can also be found in the church. Totally. In this chapter of scripture, it can also be seen as a call to living in community because it's what we're created for. Mm-hmm. We are not complete by ourselves and we need people around us to do that. Um, and so I'd say that we can put that lens over how we see marriage is, um, are we seeing marriage as this end goal of something that's going to complete us? Or are we seeing marriage as a way to be more fruitful for the Lord? Are we actually going to be more fruitful in a marriage? Or are we going to be more fruitful by ourselves? Because ultimately, if the goal is is to to serve the Lord and be fruitful for him with our lives, um, that's something that we should consider if the purpose of marriage is to increase our fruitfulness for Christ and for the gospel, um, is that actually on the ground practically what we are expecting and what will happen for us in a marriage? And that peace comes from just knowing yourself. And sometimes I know the desire for marriage is really overpowering and you're like, I'll, I would just do anything. Like if they love the Lord, then I, yes, like immediately. Yes. Um, um, and that's just not how we see marriage. Like scripture calls us to um, to be in a marriage because it is more fruitful. You are more fruitful together with another person. Um, and if that's not the case, then we've lost perspective of what marriage is and what scripture says marriage is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. I know of someone who... Uh, Whenever a couple will tell him, uh, like, "Hey, we're we're thinking about getting engaged. Like, we're real excited. Everything's been going well. Moving forward here, and you know, bringing up that they're aiming towards marriage, um, he'll he'll you know encourage them. Be like, oh, that's exciting. And then he'll ask why, <laughs> and is like always throws people off. Like, mm-hmm. well, what do you mean why? It's like, why do you want to get married? 
and then you'll start saying stuff and it a lot of times it revolves more around like the affection aspect which is definitely real and a piece of it and should be there mm-hmm. but he's like yeah but like why do you want to latch on to this person forever like what's the point and he's trying to get people to think about that what you just said uh, how am i thinking through the lens of together we are entering into a space that's a little different and we can be more fruitful for god and for kingdom work and even growing deeper intimacy with god through the intimacy that we experience becoming married uh, the sanctification that happens to kind of a different extent whenever you get married um and so i, I always love thinking about that i haven't i've been bold enough to just ask somebody straight up like why would you want to do that yet but i'm going to one day <laughs> you should that's actually i love that that's so good and so before we move on where have we seen uh this foundation of marriage kind of cracked like it's been, like in the in the church and in in society like what happens when the foundation for marriage finds its its kind of roots in in different different ways mm. what does that look like one of the things that i think of like most immediately when thinking about that question, uh, it, it takes me back to Ephesians 5 where Paul is discussing um, the way that believers should interact with each other in, in various degrees and he gets to a marriage husband-wife relationship and it's all centered around um, what another pastor friend of mine calls mutual yielding to one another um, or you could call it like self-sacrificial love towards one another and how that for sure in marriage, but even just in like humanity, Jesus is demonstrating the way to be truly human, to experience life to the the fullest is to live in this kind of self-sacrificial love state with others, whether you're married to them or not. Um, And whenever that gets removed, I mean, even just within our culture, the, the idea of like a prenup or something like that, that's like the, that is one within a marriage context of the most, selfish mm-hmm. things that you could do or consider because you're just hedging your bets for yourself. You're not willing to put it out, put your um, faith and loyalty out to someone and be willing to say, even if it's going to be really hard in the future, we are going to work through this. I'm not going to leave you. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that we've come up with contracts to legally break other contracts just for mm-hmm. our own sake Um, it's really rooted in the opposite of what Ephesians five is saying. And that gets played out really often, really easily in little personal aspects, but Mm -hmm. as grand as it can be as something like a prenup and all like the legal things and how, I mean, for most people, just even statistically in our culture, the idea going into marriage is I want to get married because you might say, I love this person, or there's all these affections and like all this other stuff, but whenever it comes down to it whenever you go to actually sign up for that covenant, you're going into it already willing to break it. And yeah. because, and with that atmosphere floating around, I'm like, man, that foundation is really cracked. Whenever mm-hmm. you remove the necessity mm-hmm. of, you have to come into this self-sacrificial love, mutual yield, yielding. And so kind of jumping off that, what, what does it look like when somebody's marriage or even just relationship in general is based off of purely feelings? Like, and that's, and that's like the sole foundation. I, I'm in this relationship or I'm in this marriage because of, like you said, only affection, only these Mm -hmm. like 
these butterflies or these feelings, whatever you want to call it, these feelings, what happens when that is the main foundation? Talk about an emotional roller coaster. Oh my gosh. I mean, we change every day. Like, <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I wake up in the morning feeling sometimes like a little P. salty. Like P. Diddy. Sometimes a little salty, sometimes a little happy, sometimes a little frustrated for literally no reason. And we are just so inconsistent as people. Like there is nothing consistent or unchanging about us. Um, and to make a lifetime commitment to someone, knowing that y'all will not even be close to the same person you were when you were married 10 years ago is scary. Um, and yeah, there's just no, there's just no telling. And you're, you end up putting all of your security and identity and fulfillment in another person who is also unchanging or changing. And mm -hmm. they're never going to, they're never going to be able to satisfy you in the way that you, you think that they could. Um, and having that responsibility put on you as well to satisfy another person, that's not something that you can hold up. Um, and so, yeah. It's just, it is an emotional roller coaster where you're going to feel like you are, honestly, this may sound dramatic, but dying a thousand little deaths mm -hmm. every day because there are just going to be moments where you just feel betrayed over and over and over again because no human being can hold up the weight of your identity and satisfaction. Like, that's just never, that's just not going to work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And whenever... Whenever that is happening, I've seen it play out where that happens long enough and either on one side or on both sides, your uh, capacity to be vulnerable and experience real intimacy with the other person um, gets walled up for to like kind of protect yourself because it's like, I don't know, I'm extending this vulnerability out to someone and I don't know how it's going to be received. I might get slapped back in the face with it or it might be really well received, but yesterday it wasn't. So now I'm just confused. And so I don't really, that's a negative emotion. I don't want to experience. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like a kind of walled emotion and, and all of a sudden there's not a real relationship there. But I think mm -hmm. a lot of it starts with the, if you're just following affection and then uh, behaving based on that, it's like you have no idea what you're going to get into. Yeah. And if, and if I can push back on, on the culture we live in a little bit, like part of that is, is spurred on by, by this idea of like, I mean, for lack of better terms, live your truth. Like you do you like these kind of things where it's just like, Hey, wh however you're feeling that day, that's who you are. And my, my pushback would be that's, that's actually sad that you would base kind of your identity off of these feelings on a certain day when when like you're actually way more than that and you've actually mm -hmm. been given a way better and deeper and more fulfilling identity identity than that. Mm -hmm. And we we look at these couples who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s that have been married for 40, 50 years and we and we think both Christians and non-Christians look at that and be like, wow, look at that connection yeah. that they have. Look at, look at that intimacy. It's like they can read each other's thoughts. They're just so content to be in each other's presence. And we see that and we want that. And we also see that those kind of like first date, early relationship, mm -hmm. like tingles or like, oh my gosh, like these affections are just 
overflowing. And we look at that as a society. We're like, I want that. I crave just that, that like those, those affections and those feelings. And we love both of those things, but we don't, we don't want the hard work Mm -hmm. in between we, the day to day monotony, if, if you can say it, the monogamous monotony, uh, I think Tyler Satin calls it a uh, rebellious fidelity. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that for marriage, but also just for the, the Christian life, following Jesus as a whole. There's this thing called rebellious fidelity that if you want to be the type of person, we'll speak spiritually for a second, that is just so, has this close, intimate relationship with Jesus that you just feel like you're walking with him by the spirit day in, day out. It takes, it takes work. And there's mm-hmm. going to be days where you don't feel like this, now going back to both marriage and like the Christian walk, there's days where you don't really wake up feeling like loving the other person. You don't feel like opening your Bible. I'm trying to kind of do both at the same time. Yeah. And you're just like, man, this is hard work. I think we should start to celebrate that. Like mm-hmm. keep going, keep pursuing, keep loving, keep being intentional, this rebellious fidelity, this monogamous monotony, like, hey, this is actually producing in you something that's going to be so worth it Mm -hmm. and so great. And we need to start encouraging and celebrating that in the church, both in relationships and also as we're walking with Jesus. Hey, I know you don't feel those Holy Spirit tingles like you like you did last week. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean that you're not growing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Tangent no, that, over. Yeah. That's really good. That's um I think especially because that can be laid over either our following Jesus being faithful to him and then also in a married um relationship or considering a married relationship. Uh especially for just all the college students currently listening, something to be aware of. Um, and it's a cultural kind of obstacle uh, situation and all cultures have their own. But one of the ones that we live in um, is what is called the age of a therapeutic man. And so there's some uh, like cultural sociologists that have done a lot of work on seeing how cultures kind of progress through what they view as kind of the ultimate um, where they pull like their virtues from and things like that. And because we're an advanced culture and we're a secular culture, uh, we are kind of at the the top of, if anybody knows Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you get to self-actualization. And now our v- virtues start to come from how do we most effectively self-actualize? And the therapeutic man concept comes from one of the things that our culture, it, all, it affects all of us, whether we are choosing to live in that lane or to choose to live in the following Jesus lane, it influences us. And to be aware of the fact that a therapeutic man is going to always move towards uh, what makes you feel most happy or what somebody might consider most quote unquote fulfilled, but it's completely based on your like kind of current state and you're chasing like kind of a consistently existent state of happiness ultimately. Um, and that's really dangerous. Uh, one that's not, that's not possible, uh, because even whenever you're living the life abundant that Jesus talks about, 
it's coded in the fact of that you're called to suffer in some capacity. And that's actually where better life is. And so there's a real like push in our culture or a rub that I think it's just good to be aware of that that will always be something that we living in this culture are going to be battling. And so uh, it's not necessarily a solution to fix, but rather a reality to mm. be aware of and then choose <laughs> to go a different way. That's really good. Well, in light of, uh, my micro SD card telling me I have four minutes left before Ooh. it's reached full capacity. Oh my gosh. Let's land the plane here. So in light of Jesus, some of the New Testament authors kind of see Jesus and it changes a little bit of their perspective of what marriage is. What is this new perspective, this picture, you could say, that marriage is supposed to represent? Yeah, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in the dating podcast, but marriage is supposed to symbolize Jesus marrying his bride, um, which is the church. And so if we look at a marriage from that lens, it's like, okay, how am I going to serve this person? It's no longer what can I get or receive from this person, but how can I lay down my life for this Mm -hmm. person? And how can I model the life of Jesus? Um, And I always think to... Um, just Jesus washing the disciples' feet and taking on um, a lowly servant. And so I think if we look at it from that lens, we can serve our partner better, but um, also represent what marriage is supposed to be, which is that covenant with um, the bride and the church. That's really good. And so where have have you seen that um, in in some of your own relationships and some of your own marriages? Uh, KT, my wife and I got to, um, hang out with, uh, a couple friend this, uh, past weekend and just getting to do life alongside her as my wife with, uh, her friend and, and her friend's boyfriend and then with like their parents. And there's just a lot of kind of like relationships where these people are together, um, I always think about like, how cool is that, that KT and I have the opportunity as followers of Jesus to, model this is what it looks like as far as my relationship with Jesus whenever I sin against KT and but she's willing to forgive me and stay with me I sin against Jesus and he he's not going to forsake me and so anytime I'm engaging with other couples especially ones who like know us pretty well um it's cool to know it's like man that is literally a walking picture of that and it gives me a lot of like reassurance and faith and motive to continue living like that with her that's good. Well, here's where we'll land the plane with a quote from Tim Keller. And if you haven't read his book, Meaning of Marriage, I've probably read it four times in, so good. in different mm-hmm. seasons. I read it when I was single. I read it when I was engaged. And I've read it uh, now being married. And and every time I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. So here's a quote. We had this in our in our own wedding. I put this in almost every wedding ceremony that I perform. He says this. Within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. And so until next week where we're going to kind of talk about the practicality, think about that. Think about the the purpose, the foundation, and the picture that marriage represents. And so until next time.
Grace, Grace and peace. peace.